0: Um, let's pray real quick when we get started. God, thanks for Antioch, and uh, thanks for all the people that you've brought here from all over, thousands and millions of different kinds of stories, God, all convening here today um, in Bend and Antioch, and uh, we, just, we just recognize that as being miraculous. That's not an accident. Um, it's nothing short of, of your hand being involved, of, of your love at work, and so we just thank you for that. And I just pray for your words this morning, Father. Pray for open hearts, for good soil, that some um, things would be planted that would grow up and be fruitful, God, that would be usable, um, that would point to you, that there would be evidence of your life inside of our lives. We pray all this and thank you in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. So give your life away is what we've been talking about the last four weeks. Ken's been kind of thumping it on giving your Give your time away, give your energy away, give your money away, give your comfort away. And today, as we kind of wrap it up, we're going to talk about control, what it means to give control away. And there's really four things I want to hit this morning. Uh, Kind of this is the order. One of the biggest obstacles that we face in giving our lives away, um, why it's an obstacle, why it's a problem, how exactly we can get around it to begin to give our lives away, and then lastly and probably most importantly, how we can continue to give our lives away, um, how we can continually do it daily, uh, weekly, yearly, um, so it's not just an event that was in our past, but it's something that's before us every single day. So I want to start with uh, just a simple passage that we've all heard a hundred times out of the Gospel of Luke, and I, I didn't get it up on the screen, but you guys can feel free to flip through your Bible to chapter, uh, chapter 9. Verse 23. You read it now. We're going to kind of walk through it. We're going to look at some different things and come back to it in you know, 40 minutes or so and see, see what it says. Um, but here's what it says as we start Jesus is talking, and he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. I think one more time for good measure. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For, who, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it, okay? Um, Jesus is basically saying, as we get started this morning, if you want to know what life is, what it really is, you got to figure out how to give it away. You've got to figure out how to let go of the control. And it's, it's, it's mysterious and it's paradoxical. It seems completely backwards that to have life you must give life away. That to receive life you must figure out, we must figure out what it means to give life away. What's the, one of the biggest obstacles uh, to us giving our lives away? As I've been thinking about this message, as I've been processing and, and not sleeping a whole lot, coming back from three weeks in Congo and Sudan just about a month ago, um, trying to figure out what, what is that one thing in front of us that when we hear, give your life away, we recoil. We turn back and say, no, 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 not, not me, not my life. That's for somebody else. That's not, that's not something that I can imagine doing with, with my life. What is... What is the one thing? And I think it, I think it has something to do with this. Um, we believe that trusting God, having faith in God, is an event. We've been taught that. We internalize that. We believe it and we act it out. And so we hear all these kinds of um, stories, right? Testimonies accounts, witnesses of, of people's lives. And it goes something like, I was not a Christian, then I prayed a prayer of salvation, and God like, redeemed me from all of my junk, my brokenness, my sin, all those bad things I was doing, and now I'm a Christian. So I wasn't, I prayed, I became a Christian. And it's this thing in our past, we kind of slap that label on it. Um, so let's move this a little closer. I feel like if you guys were here last week, you really got to enjoy me for my artistic ability on the, uh, on the announcements, so I definitely don't want to deprive you. Mm. Um, so the biggest, the biggest obstacle to us giving our lives away, there's you, there's me, us. Um, is that when we think of faith as something that happened in our past and not as something that happens daily like Jesus is saying in Luke pick up your cross daily follow after me have faith daily it's not just this big event that was this big decision in your past there is an hour where you first believe there is a moment when you first trust there is a moment when God comes in and says yeah, um, now I get to do what I'm going to do and if it stops there we're not really living out exactly what Jesus is talking about in Luke 9 pick up your cross, to follow me daily, to walk, to walk. And so the big issue with that type of understanding of of faith, with that type of understanding of salvation and justification and sanctification, all those really big, complicated church words that we can get lost in for hours and hours and hours and even lifetimes we can get lost in those concepts and those words and what they mean. But basically the the big thing that I think we want to say this morning is that when we think faith is an event, something in our past, um, we continue to live the exact same way with a different title. I'm a Christian. I wasn't a Christian. I prayed a prayer. Now I'm a Christian. But if that title is the only thing that changes, we end up living the exact same way and that that routine of the exact same way is based out of, uh, I think if we were all honest, it's based out of fear. The way most of us live, the way most of us have been taught to live, the the way we've witnessed most other people living is a very fear-based type of routine. It can be a physical kind of fear, Um, circumstances, I'm afraid of dangerous places, I know where not to go at certain times of the day, I know where I'm safe, I know where to build my house, I know where to park my car, I know when it's safe to leave my keys in my ignition and when it's not. Um, Where are we safe? We fear a lot of places, conditions. But even more than that, we also fear emotionally. Things like loneliness, things like rejection, um, things that are internal, things that plague us, like worth, value. We fear that we're not good enough. We fear that we're not strong enough, fear that we're not beautiful enough, not smart enough. And so that culture of fear uh, that basically operates everything, lends itself to control. It lends itself to control. If we can control circumstances, if we control our emotions, we can limit the fear. We can get comfortable enough. We can believe that ah, fear, is, um, fear is not something that I want to be acquainted with. So we control everything, I mean, down to the littlest, the littlest details. Um, and when we control, that lends itself to power. Fear, control, power. We exert our power. Our power over people, our power over places, um, our power over relationships. And when that happens, uh, basically, we always end up with a plan. When I was 15 years old, my high school counselor sat me down and said, Matt, what's the pl- What's your plan for your life? What? <laughs> my plan for my life? She's like, yeah, I see that you dropped a Spanish three. If you don't take Spanish three, you're not gonna get into a good college. If you don't get, get into a good college, you're not gonna get a good job and um, you're, gonna, you're gonna end up making like a minimum wage your whole life. That's not a good plan. What's your plan for your life? What? <laughs> you still ask me that question. I wouldn't have a good answer. Um, Fear is so common, fear is so ordinary that we get to the place where we believe that it's, it's, it's normal. And that's the motivation. That's where we start all of our decision-making processes. That's what we base a lot of our relationships out of. Um, I mean, if you really, really, really fear loneliness, you're really going to go out and look for a relationship. Uh, if you really, really fear um, being uncomfortable, uh, hurting, pain, all those kinds of things. You're really going to value comfort, things that are soft, and things that have round edges, and things that don't pierce, and things that are are simple and safe, and those kinds of things. So, fear, control, power, plan. This is basically the routine that, that that we've been working with our whole lives. And I think the really funny thing is that um, if if we look at plans seriously. Um, what we don't realize is that when we look at the other person like sitting next to you or across the room or like your boss or someone that you work with or um, someone that you're just somehow acquainted with, and go, man, they've got it put together, they've got a plan. What you don't realize is that they're really terrified. <laughs> they're absolutely terrified. But it's very much fear-driven. And a lot of times the most controlling, the most powerful kind of people, the ones that always execute their plan are the ones that are the most scared. The ones that are the most afraid. So why is this type of thinking problematic? Um, When we think faith is an event in our past, we think it's something that we do and then move forward from, uh, we continue living with this exact same kind of routine. It doesn't change anything about us, our character, our lives, our dreams, our visions, our beliefs, uh, how we view our money, how we view our time, how we view our control, how we view relationships in our lives. Everything stays exactly the same and we just slap a big Christian sticker on top of it. Does that make sense? So the problem is we keep living with this fear-based routine We maintain the same kind of habits. Um, And I think the biggest problem with this type of thinking is that everything points to the same place. At the center of this is you. At the center of that is me. And the thing about fear that's really interesting is that it, it always shrinks. It never expands. Fear is that emotion. Fear is that desire to hold on to what we have and when we feel it we we get small. And not just physically small like cowering in the corner from danger kind of small, but we think small things and we believe small things and we trust small things like us. And we get we get so absorbed into this plan, into this control, into this power and we only invest ourselves in the things that we know we can determine. Like a, like a chess player, putting pieces exactly where he wants them. like I'm only going to make this play if I'm confident, if I'm sure it's not a risk to me. Because if it doesn't work out, it's got to work out. It, it falls back onto me always. All of this is me-oriented. So you can see this being a, a little bit problematic when Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross daily. If you want to know me, you've got to lose your life. If you really want to know what I'm doing here, you have to give away what has been given to you. So the reason why this is problematic is because we, we continue living the same exact way. And I'll tell you guys something. Um, spending time in Congo, spending time in, in Sudan, um, spending time in Ethiopia, spending time in Dominican Republic, spending time in Haiti, spending time with you guys, spending time with people here who are hurting and, and fearful of the future because things just simply aren't working out the way you expected or you planned them to work. I mean, thinking of, of all those things put together, this is, this is the way the world is operating. And that's never, ever going to stop. The routine is never going to stop until something new comes in to it, until something new is introduced into the equation. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. That's exactly what Christ is inviting you and me into. Is it's something new. So it's problematic. Same routines, same habits, nothing changes about our character, nothing changes about our our visions, our dreams, anything. So how exactly do we begin to give our lives away if this is kind of the routine we all get locked into? Um, How do you walk out of here today and do it? How do you do it tomorrow? How do you do it the day after that? Um, I think the first thing that we got to look at is that um, fear is useful. Fear is useful. Um, I, Before I went to Congo, I really, really thought fear was the opposite of faith. If you were faithless, you were full of fear. And I, I don't know anymore. Talking to these women who uh, have been uh, abused and raped, talking to their husbands who are in fear every day that their families will be destroyed, that their wives will be taken from them, um, talking to these kids, who who just sense the fear, who, um, who understand the gravity of the situation that's going on in a place like Congo. Um, I don't know if faith and fear are opposites. What I do think is that fear is useful because it reveals to us what we love. It reveals to us what we love. I mean, think about it. If... Um, If you love comfort, your greatest fear is going to be sacrifice. If your greatest fear is discomfort, your greatest love is going to be anything that proves to be comfortable. They're linked. Fear and love. They're linked. And so the issue I want to kind of put on the table this morning is not how do we get rid of fear, but how do we find Um, the greater fear. How do we find the greater fear? Uh, Here's what I mean. If you have your Bible, flip open to Proverbs real quick. I want you guys to look at uh, Proverbs 1-7 real quick with me. Got a lot of flipping going on. The greater fear, fear and love are connected Fear reveals our loves to us. Listen to this, Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you flip over to Proverbs 9 real quick, verse 10, check this out. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The Bible talks throughout the entire Testament about the fear of God, about the fear of God. Not like Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of fear, (laughs) where it's a guy who's been alive for 300 years and he hacks people up and puts them into his mom's chili recipe, like I'm afraid of that guy on the middle of the road in the middle of Texas kind of fear, like "I'm, I'm, I'm scared. But fear like I recognize how big God is. I recognize his nature. I recognize his character. Check this verse out. Psalm uh, 134. In you, O Lord, oh, I'm sorry, if you, O Lord, should mark inequities, who could stand? With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. You hear what's happening? If you, God, should mark our inequities, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. That by God, being who he is, by him forgiving, by him revealing through the act of forgiving us, the whole Jesus thing, the whole I love you and I'm not gonna give up on you thing, that whole I forgive you thing, shows that God is a God of restoration. Restoration. God is a God of reconciliation. God is a God of love. God is a God of a promise, and he intends to keep his promise. When he says, I love you and I care for you, he means it, and he's not going anywhere. He's gonna back it up. So the psalm is kind of bringing those two things together and saying, because I understand my own inequity, because I understand my own fear and control and power and plan, because I understand how small this thing really is, and you come into that, God, and you say, I'm gonna forgive all of that. I'm bigger than that. Can you see that? And the psalmist is looking at this and saying, Jeez, God, I'm, I'm, I've, my, my only proper response to you is to fear you, it's to revere you, it's to stand in awe of what you are revealing about yourself to me. And so all throughout the Proverbs, all throughout the Psalms, all throughout the Israelites' exodus out of Egypt, the entire Old Testament says fear God, fear God. To fear God is to begin to understand wisdom and wisdom is insight into reality. It's understanding what is real and what is not real. It's deciphering the illusions about your identity from the reality of your identity. And when everything else says, you gotta have a plan, you gotta be strong, you gotta be smart, what's your five-year, 10-year, 50-year plan, what's your investment strategy? How are you exercising your power? Where's your control? What is this fear that's motivating you? All those kinds of things. That type of of system, God comes into that and says, no, no. I forgive you, do you see there's something bigger going on? And the writer of the Proverbs, the writer of the Psalms, all throughout the Old Testament, we find the same thing, that when you truly know God, the proper response is to fear him. Because, because the only proper response when we meet God's love is to love him back. Fear and love are connected. You fear God because you fear the loss of God more than you fear the loss of your own life. You fear God because without him, nothing makes sense. That's what the Proverbs are saying. To fear God is to understand wisdom. That is the foundation of all reality. When God reveals his nature and character to you and you see it, that's when you begin to understand who you are, what is going on in this world, It's where you understand who your neighbor is, why they are the way they are, um, who your politicians are, who your celebrities are, who your sports stars are, um, who people in Africa are. It's how you begin to realize and process everything. It's all founded in God. And when we take God out of the equation, we get that. We get us at the center. But, If God ends up here, in the middle, and we have the right kind of fear, it's the greater fear, it's not the fear that we lose our own life, our own control, our own comfort, our own power, but it's the fear that we lose God. It's the fear that we lose reality, the fear that we lose who we really are. The fear that we lose any idea of what to do with our lives. And when we have the proper fear, the greater fear, instead of leading to control, it's going to lead to surrender. And surrender is going to lead to permission. And permission is going to lead to a promise. Sorry, you can't read that. (laughs) The greater fear, the loss of God, that reveals the love of God in our hearts, where before it goes to control, it goes to surrender, saying, recognizing, Psalm 134, God, you're big. You're big and you get it. You get it more than I get it. And I'm going to give permission to you to do with me what you want, to use me how you can. Because this system is chewing people up and it's spitting them out. This system is enslaving people. This system, people are sick and there's nowhere to get help. This system, people are, are trafficking people. People are hurting each other. They're robbing each other. In this system, people are killing each other. That's the plan. That's the goal. God, in this system, people are radically taking advantage of each other, but not here. God, because you matter more to me than I matter to myself, because I fear the loss of you more than I fear the loss of my life, I'm on my knees, and and I surrender, and I pray, and I give you permission. Use me how you will. And I think the big difference, you guys, between the promise and the plan is that it radically changes the way we pray. We're always praying, God, what's your plan for my life? What's your plan? Show me your will, show me your will, show me your will. And I think all throughout the Bible, God is saying, look, I'm calling you, I'm inviting you, and here's the promise. Matthew 28, I'm with you. I am with you. Don't worry about the details. Don't worry about tomorrow. I mean, have you guys read the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5 and 6. Don't, uh, look at the sparrows. Look at them out there. They're not tied down by fear, by worry. They just trust me. They live. Look at the fields and the flowers. They're clothed with beauty. You count to me way more than those things do. Don't worry. I got this. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's the promise. Is that enough? I mean, would it, would, it make, would it make all the difference in the world if it was written out in the stars in the middle of the night? If God said, I'm here, hi, this is my plan, A, B, C, D, E, go do it. Would we have no doubt? Would we have no fear? God, God doesn't really do that. God says, the invitation isn't to a plan, the invitation is to me, and with me, you get character. With me, you get the nature of God, the unconditional, loving kind of God. With me, you get the promise, I am with you and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you and I will never abandon you. Is that enough? Do you trust me? Will you walk with me? So when we fall back onto that promise, God is with us, God is with us, God is with us. Things really really, really begin to change. So how, how do we begin to give our lives away? One, we gotta redefine what it means to be a, a godly man and a godly woman. A godly man is not a man who prayed a prayer at some point in his life and knows he's going to heaven, but continues to live with the fear-based habit, the fear-based routine. The godly man and the godly woman is the person who lives this out over and over and over and over. It's the habit of faith. This is faith. This is trusting in God. This is trusting in ourselves. This is what faith looks like with skin and bones, and teeth. This is what it looks like to follow after God. Luke 9, Jesus says, if you're gonna follow me, pick up your cross daily. If you wanna know what your life is, give it away to me. And when you give it away to me, you'll really begin to understand wisdom, reality, how things work, why things work. And I'm gonna lead you into that and we're going we're gonna to seek to repair what this is undone. So it's doing it over and over and over and over. And I brought something uh, to read to you guys this morning from, from Congo. Uh, a lot of you guys were able to meet a guy named Marcel Sarabungo. He was here in December. He's a Congolese guy. He's about 58 years old. He's got nine kids, three of them are adopted. He's a pastor and he works for World Relief as their church mobilization director, which means his job is to go into parts of Congo that have been um, kind of puzzle-pieced and divided from tribal warfare, and he's taking these pastors that hate each other, and not because for any reason they understand it, it's just because their their ancestors hated each other, and their ancestors hated each other, and their ancestors hated each other, and there's just this tribal division, and it's violent, and it's ugly, and it's deadly. And so he goes into that and he invites these people together, these pastors and says, look, our allegiance to Christ ought to supersede our allegiance to our tribes. And he takes these guys that hate each other on these like three-day retreats and he says, there's your bunk bed in your room. <laughs> go, go be together. And, he, and then Marcel says he goes and he prays all night that they don't kill each other. <laughs> I mean, that's that, that's That's intense. So, Marcel's context is, is radically different than, than our context here in Bend, but there's this, there's this principle that he gets across as I was talking to him over there, uh, kind of interviewing him. And I just want to read this to you guys, and you can take it or leave it. Um, these are Marcel's words exactly verbatim. He says, I want to tell all of you in America something surprising. You are dying. Now, I want to ask you, what are you dying for? We're all going to die, do you know that? We could die being a thief, we could die fighting in a war, we can die many ways. But it's best to die serving God by serving God's people. This is hard to hear in America because you have many fears and there are many questions. You will ask, how can I be sure God is calling me? Or maybe, how can I give up my house? (laughs) Stop with those questions. Once you hear the voice of God and you're pushed to go, please stop asking, stand and go. You must know you don't have to be afraid of anything. The one who is calling you to go is the Almighty Himself. He can take care of your life now or later. Do you know that? He is the protector who rules over everything, even armed rebels. Your life belongs to the Lord. He gives it and He takes it away. How can a man take your life if you have already given it away? How will your life be taken if it's already been taken by God? This is why I say if you want to be missional, you must commit suicide. In the rural areas of Congo, there's no way to be safe. The forest is full of armed rebels, and they can do whatever they want. They have guns, no leadership. They can, they can take what they please. Every time I drive out into the forest, I make myself vulnerable. Sometimes we come across rebels who are just kids, 13, 14 years old. They're too young to listen, so they just shoot. This is my context. It's dangerous. Nothing is easy. Every time I leave my house for the field, I tell my wife I might not return. It's hard but that's not a good reason to stay home. I remember that Jesus made himself vulnerable. He gave away his life, and you know what? He's asking us to do the same thing. He says, go and serve my people, and if I don't go because I'm afraid, who will go and show compassion to hurting people in my country? You see, it's impossible to work in Congo without giving your life away. The Lord knows it's dangerous, but he still calls us because our brothers and sisters are hurting. We must go and show compassion. We must give our lives. It's easy to come with simple solutions to Congo. A lot of people want to build roads, wells, schools. These are good things, but those can be destroyed. I think if you give your life away for Christ, you might live or you might die, but you will build something that will never be destroyed. When we were in the car driving up to Rutshuru about a month ago with Marcel, down a road that's been attacked 111 times in the last four months by rebel groups, we were scared. And we asked Marcel, how do you do this every day? And he said, every day when I do this, I pray and I remember that I fear God more than I fear these rebels, that I fear God more than I fear the loss of my own life. And because of that, I'm able to surrender, I'm able to give him permission, and I'm able to stand on the promise every day of my life that he's with me. And that whatever happens, happens for the glory of God. Marcel's not, not one of those guys that at one point in his time said, you know what would be great if I just added some Christianity to my routine and just, just relabeled it and retitled it. And then just kept going out with, with my fear and control and power in my plan. Now, every day, Marcel gets up in this context that could kill him. And he says, it's worth it. It's worth it to give my life away to God because he's the only one that's given life back. He's the only one that's given life back in the deal. Everything else is taking it. He's the only one giving it back. That's what he kept saying all the time. You know, God's the only one that gives life. (laughs) He's the only one that takes life. And he promises that he's with us. Um, So how do we continue to give our lives away. We get that this doesn't just happen once or twice or three times or 50 times, but it happens over and over and over. It's routine, it's the habit of faith. Um, That understanding, that paradigm makes all the difference in the world. When I was 17, um, I got convinced by a cute girl to go on a church retreat, um, (laughs) which was silly because I didn't like church at all. I didn't like Christians at all because they were weird. And um, I was way too worried about being cool when I was 17. That's so why my mom embarrassed me all the time just to keep me humble. And um, I remember I got on this retreat up in the mountains. His name was Gary McCusker. And I owe this guy a lot. He got me out of bed at 6 a.m., 17 years old, up in the mountains in, in uh, Buena Vista, Colorado, on the side of Mount Princeton, which is a 14,000-foot mountain. Got me some hot chocolate, and he sat me down on this rock, and it's dark. And as soon as we started talking, like, the sun starts coming up and it's this huge valley and there's this beautiful mountain range like 50 miles across the valley and the sun's just coming up over this and it's just stunning. But I'm 17 and I'm tired and I'm cranky so I don't appreciate it at all. Um, and Gary looks at me and he asks me one question. He says, Matt, what's holding you back? And I said, from what? You're holding me back from sleeping, is that what you're talking about? He said, no, what's holding you back from God? I said, Gary everything i don't know anything about god who is god what is god i came up here because there's a cute girl and we're all playing basketball next thing i know we go into a room the lights get turned off a band starts playing and all these normal kids that i was just playing basketball with are now like dancing and singing with their hands in the air and they're crying what are they crying about what happened in that five minute transition like what what is this experience i don't know anything about this i don't know anything about the bible i don't know anything about the church everything's holding me back Most of my friends think this stuff is a joke. That's holding me back. I'm worried about what they think. Uh, You know, I just went on and on and on for 30 minutes. And Gary had that look the whole time, like he knew something I didn't know. (laughs) You know that look? And you know, as soon as you stop talking, he's gonna say it, and it's just gonna radically change the whole conversation, so you just keep talking. Like, I don't wanna hear what is in his head right now because I'm gonna be wrong. and (laughs) I don't wanna be wrong right now because I don't want this. And uh, he said, let me tell you something, Matt. Somewhere along the way, you picked up this idea. And he pointed across the valley, 50 miles to this mountain. He said, you think that right now you have to take a leap of faith. You have to jump from this mountain we're sitting on to that mountain over there. You think that's faith. You think that's what God is calling you to. And he kind of shook his head and he looked me dead in the eye and he said, Matt, with all the love in my heart, you're absolutely dead wrong. So that is not faith. There is no leap of faith. There's a step. There's a step in front of you right now. What's the step? And I said, "I don't know. I guess I could pray." <laughs> I said, "All right, let's pray." So 17 years old, first time I ever prayed, I prayed, "God, this is weird." <laughs> I have no idea what's happening, but if you're there, I'm listening amen (laughs) and Gary said okay and that was it we got up and went back to life you know what I didn't think about God or pray for two more years until I was 19 did that come back to me and it was with Gary again this guy and his questions what's holding you back it's a great question what's holding you back not from the leap but the step we are so paralyzed by that idea that we've got to get to be perfect before God can do anything with us, that we've got to get to be all the way holy before God can weave anybody into our life that needs to be loved. We've got this idea that we've got to take that leap and and when we do, then it will be okay, but there is no leap. There's a step. I remember Gary very vividly saying, you will end up on that mountain, but not right now. Maybe 10, maybe 20, maybe 80 years from now. God will get you there. But the invitation that God is giving you is to himself. It's to himself. Follow me. Walk with me. Whatever comes across your path, whatever it is in front of you, can you surrender and give God permission? Can you stand on the promise that he's with you? And can you do that daily? Can you do it the next time? And I got to imagine with, you know, 500 people in this room, there's a lot of different kinds of steps in front of us. And, and maybe, maybe the step for you is to call your mom on Mother's Day and say, I'm sorry. I mean, how impossible does that seem? <laughs> how, I, how outside of your comfort zone does that seem? Maybe the step for you is to... Um, Tell your kids that you love them. Maybe the the step for you is to re, you know realize that you don't need 15 hours a week to watch TV. 10 is plenty, and with those five hours, you can uh, you can read a book about something significant, or you can learn something. Maybe that's your step. I can't I can't begin to imagine what different kinds of steps are in here. But when Ken. And I and everyone here at Antioch says, give your life away. When we, say, when we ask, what's holding us back from that? We're not asking what's holding us back from the leap. It's what's holding us back from the step. And this will continue to be our routine of fear until we actually say, okay, God, you've revealed enough to me I'll take the small step. I'll take the small step. And that's what we want to do here at church, at Antioch. That's why you should come tonight, the worship night. Because if you're sitting here looking at me going, dude, you are smoking some weird stuff because this is just silly and this makes all the sense in the world. I mean, you come tonight, I dare you. You're going to come hear stories about people that lived their whole life this way have lived their whole life this way, and then one night they said, okay, God, I'll take the step. You won't believe the testimony. You won't believe what God is doing. You won't believe what they have discovered. Um, here, here's, what, here's what they've discovered. If anyone will come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Um, I'm going to have the band come back up. And um, we're going to take our offering. We're going to pick up the collection cards or the connection cards. Uh, We're going to worship a little bit more. And uh, I hope that that's I hope that I, I don't get accused of, of plagiarism for stealing Gary's question. The question that asks, what's holding you back? Not from the leap, but from the step. And maybe is it time to take that step? We'll pray about that. God, thanks for today. Um, thanks for your church. Um... God, thanks that even though it's, it's hard and mysterious and paradoxical and seemingly impossible, uh, you come and say, you know what, if you just remember that I'm with you, if you just remember that I'm with you, we can do this. So God, I pray that, that we would not settle for the kind of fear that shrinks us into ourselves, But God, that we would meet you and have a greater fear, we'd fear the loss of you, the loss of your truth, the loss of your love over anything else. And that God, whatever you weave into our lives, whatever small detail, we would surrender that to you, give you permission to use us, and that we would rest on that promise, God. It says, regardless of the outcome, you're with us. We pray that this is a church full of those stories, God, full of your spirit and your power, that we can't take any credit. We don't get any glory for him. Just you. You are the only one that gives life back. And so we just do our best, God, to give our lives to you. In your name.